Yo, what's up, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of the Men of Purpose podcast. Des here. So I am so excited to be able to provide value in this way, but more so for you just to be kind of a fly on the wall to, to a really good friend of mine who I had on the podcast. So we ended up talking through so many things. And so my my friend Star, so you, obviously she's going to be able to introduce herself. So my friend Star Hansen, her and I first met when we both took the TEDx stage. You know, we were part of the same cohort and we got to rock, you know, the the TED mic, if you will, together. And so this first part of our conversation, we dove into uh, what that experience was like for us because we never got the opportunity to really talk about it because kind of things happened. And then obviously with the past year, so it was a really great conversation just between two friends about chasing dreams. And I think it's going to be really valuable for a lot of you because with this two-part series, I mean, our conversation was, was two and a half hours, which is a huge reason why I'm going to be breaking this up and dropping one half this week and then the other half next week. But our conversation really took towards navigating clutter. And so Star is a, she deems herself as a clutter whisperer. And I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll let her introduce herself a little bit more, but we, we dove into clutter and what it actually means and what it actually represents from the clients that she's had. And so I'm super excited. I hope you guys really, really enjoy the podcast. You know, part two, she's going to talk a bit about you know, how, how you can operate with clutter and, and what that means for you. And then also some really, really great free resources that you can start to navigate your clutter in a different way. Because I think overall, when we think about clutter, we, we think of it as a really bad thing. Well, Star does such a, an amazing job at taking this opportunity for you to take a self audit and to understand yourself a bit more fully with a lot more empathy and a great deal, a shit ton of compassion. I hope you all enjoy part one. Later. Yo, what up? Welcome to the Men of Purpose podcast. I am your host, Desi Abeda, proud father, husband, Latino dietitian, entrepreneur, and thought leader. This podcast is meant to help all my guys out there, all these fathers and future fathers, work to navigate their life and their health in a different way. Tackling confidence, being able to get to a point where you're living your most authentic self and, and in doing so, learning ways and tactics from a nutrition perspective, from a health perspective and from a mental health perspective. And so we are so excited for you to be on here. So as you come on, get your notepads out, make sure you dial into the Mental Purpose podcast. Let's get it. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? Welcome to a, another Mental Purpose podcast. Uh, I am just so effing joyful uh, to be sharing space with literally one of my favorite people in the world. Um, we we had a couple years where we just kind of lost contact. And, and I feel like when we came back to like, it just kind of went off without a hitch. And that's how, you know, like you found like a, a special friend and you become just lifelong friends. And so uh, for our listeners out there, I just wanted to give the warmest of welcomes. I can't say enough good things about her. Star Hansen, what's up, girl? Hey, Desi. I'm so excited to be here with you. I love that we've talked twice in preparation for this call, and both times you're like, why are we not recording? <laughs> <laughs> We're not allowed to talk without a microphone present. I think that's the new rule of that. It, it is. It is. Because, like, for, for our listeners, like, we just, like, kind of, like, oh, how's it going? And then I, I think we might have gotten into, like, second 90, like, minute 30. And I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm pressing record. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We can't stop. It's a big poster. I feel the same way. It's like, we met we met when we did our TEDx talks. And yeah. it was, like, instantaneously, we just loved each other. We were, like, yeah. 
my people. It was, yeah, it's just, I, I just love when you come across people like that where you're like, how did I do life before you? There was no yeah. word, Desi. There's, I always call time <laughs> BS, like before star. Yeah. <laughs> I said to my boyfriend, I was like, I said, honey, well now it's, that's BS. Cause it was before star. And he's like, what do you yeah. call AS or after star? And I was like, AS, 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 Oh Yeah. You're in the good ass now time. Let's go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I just I love I love seeing you. Um for our listeners out there, you're just going to hear, you know, probably 2 hours worth of just loving on one another cuz I I really value our friendship, my friend. Um but for our listeners out there who don't know you, I'll give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. So, uh tell our listeners what you do, what you're passionate about and just what makes you an amazing person, my friend. Awesome. So my name is Star Hansen. I'm a professional organizer and clutter whisperer, which means that I help people to use the clutter in their life to overcome blocks in their in their world. So most people look at clutter and they're like, oh, clutter is such an impediment and so hard to deal with life with clutter. And I'm like, mm, there's a block inside of you that's causing that clutter. And so I basically am a clutter detective and I use the clutter to help us figure out what is the block inside of you, set you free of it. So you don't need the clutter anymore and your life just flows. Oh, my God. I love the way that you explain that too. And I know like having, we don't do the same things, but we kind of do the same thing. So you have to have that like go-to saying of, of what you do. And so you have that fleshed out beautifully. I love it. <laughs> well, something I, I always say to people, if you knew what I was really going to do, you would have never hired me because no yeah. one is looking for a spiritual transformation through your clutter where you're going to do eight hours of therapy. <laughs> Like no one's like, oh, that sounds great. People are like, run away from that girl. But the truth is that it's such a powerful journey. And this is what people are after. They want the real transformation. They don't want to spend another week or month doing activities that are just going to, you know, fall off in another month. So that's, we've all had enough failures in that way. And I'm here to give you your last shot. Like, let's just get it done so that you never have to deal with this again. Same exactly like what you do does. It's like, like, how do I give you the tools to be successful for the rest of your life? You don't need exactly. to call on me. Exactly. Exactly. And so, Star, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, uh, again, I, I went on my little uh, puppy walk. I had to walk my puppy so that he's not losing his fucking mind while we're recording. <laughs> um, I have no promises about my cat. She may uh, lose Dude, mind, please. So. Please, I might just bring Herc in here to, and let's just get crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So I was thinking on my walk and I was like, how do I want to start this? And I think where I really want to start is like um, where we met. Because um, we haven't actually had an opportunity to talk about like the aftermath of being able to crush a TEDx talk together. Right. Um, because we did a great deal of tra- training and I just, I love how God, universe, whatever you want to say, how, I love how it works because uh, you and I were in our small little cohort practicing our talk together. Right. And so like you got to express a great deal of vulnerability because um, I don't know about you, but that was my very first TEDx talk. Same. Was it yours? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to me, it was like a bucket list item. I needed to knock out of the park. But what I really needed to tell myself was like, dude, you can do hard things. You can yeah. do hard things. You are capable. And I think that's the thing that like really spoke to me during the process. So uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about the aftermath. So for you, like just doing it, obviously your uh, the engagement from the talk has, has been amazing for you, yeah. right? For both of us, really. Totally. Um, so talk to me about like 
the process for you and in, in the aftermath? Yeah. So when I, so I always wanted to do a TED talk. I just thought, oh, that would just be the pinnacle, right? Like the bucket list. It's so oh. dope. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, you know, and I love public speaking. I'm one of the freaks in the world who doesn't have a public speaking fear that I'm like, just put me on stage. Like right now you could say, start going in front of 5,000 people and talk about eggs and organizing. And I'd be like, yeah. okay. And I would do it. <laughs> like, yeah. like, my brain just works in that way. But so I applied for the first TEDx talk with TEDx Tucson because I'd gotten an email from them. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring. They're going to say no, but I'll just keep yeah. in mind. It's me telling the universe that like, we want you to do this. And of course they didn't say no. They were like, hells to the yes, come. Oh, and can you close us out for the day? Which is like one of the highest honors. And yeah. I was like, uh, that's no pressure. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah! And at the time I lived in California and I came back and my whole family lives in Tucson. I'm an eighth generation Tucsonian or Tucsonan. And it's, you know, like it was really cool to be here. And it was, it was so powerful and I loved it. And I have to say like being here with my family was so grounding. I don't know that I ever told you this does, but like, my family is not overly significant. Like they don't fangirl on me. They, they're like, they're here to keep you grounded. So I'm about to go backstage into the green room. And my mom's like, Hey, I need to tell you something. And I was like, yeah, what's up? She's like, when you get home, cause I was like from out of town, like visiting for the talk. Yeah. She's like, when you get home, I have some chores for you to do. And I was like, <laughs> I'm literally going on stage. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And I always like, we laugh about it because it's like my head will never get oversized. It just won't. Like someone will remind me that there's like a bed to make or like I need to pick up the slack or something. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, because we were having like a party at the house afterwards. And I was like, oh, okay. But I don't know how you felt, but it was the single most anxiety provoking activity of my life. Like I don't tend to get anxiety, but a week before the TED Talk, I couldn't sleep. I felt like I had like a lump in my throat. I was super stressed. And and I think it's because it has such heightened awareness that it's like, it's not just doing a talk for a live audience. You're building something that you want to live on forever. I need it to be relevant and clear and yeah. have a message that really suggests transformation beyond when we do it. Yeah. You know? it, it was crazy kind of thinking back too, because um, I think that kind of looking back on like the different speakers, I think we all sort of went into our own zone of like how we were going to get prepared. And for me, like I always laugh at it because I still have the, the mix on Spotify. So for our listeners out there, I'll go ahead and post the, the mix that I had. It was TEDx ready. That's what it's called. Um, but I, I sort of like image, like had this image of myself kind of like Eminem and eight mile, just like getting ready. And like, that's, that's what I listened to. And I just like did I, that, that was my mantra going in. And it was so cool star because I, I remember for me, I, I share the same sentiment. It was something that I was going to build on. It was something that I wanted to be like, this message is important because when I first signed up, I was like, all right, I'm a dietitian. My brand new dad, like, what the hell can I talk about? And then I started like looking over it more and I was like, well, shit, you know, I, I just recently failed at trying to feed Rory. Um, I can talk about that, but that's not, I don't want to share that. That's not good. <laughs> like, and so like going through the process, I was so thankful for you because like you really helped me not only get some of the comedy out of it. And I don't know if you knew this about me, like I'm the same way I, I can step on stage and I can talk about anything, but the thing that I need is giggles or laughter. Like that helps me to ease. 
And so for you, like, it was so cool to have you kind of help me through some of the really key moments. And I, I don't know about you, but I wasn't ready because obviously our coach was like, hey, like, if you say something funny, let them laugh. Don't cut them off. Like, let them laugh. I wasn't prepared for how long people were going to laugh. <laughs> well, you were <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing though i was like i was like i'm not uh, like you're messing up my cues right now dude everyone shut the fuck up <laughs> you don't know what comes next okay yeah <laughs> yeah but i i remember like being paired with you and, and i just like man like you you came in just so confident and you came in just in in a way that i was like damn like i want to i want to be like that and I'm going to throw you under the bus real quick, but in the best of ways, <laughs> I really value like how nervous you were beforehand. Like how many times you changed your shirt. And no. I was like, yeah, I was like, yo, start, like start. You look amazing. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I think the biggest challenge for the Ted talk was finding something to wear because yeah. the cameras. Okay. So my trouble spot for anyone, you know, you have a trouble. So everyone has like their thing that they're aware of is my belly and the cameras were all at belly level or yeah. below. So you're either double yeah. chin or belly. And I was like, this <laughs> is my hell. And I didn't have my wardrobe cause I was traveling. So yeah. I brought what I brought and none of it worked. And it's like every day I would try on an outfit and make people take pictures. I lost track of how many times I went shopping at nine o'clock at night, the night before the talk, I showed up that day and I was like, I have no idea what I'm wearing. And thank God for Stephanie, one of the volunteers, because she's like, I brought this for you. And I was like, sold. Like by that time, I just didn't care anymore. But it was like, the hardest thing was finding an outfit that I didn't feel like pointed arrows at my belly or my boobs or my, like, I was like this, not don't sexualize me, but also like, listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> listen to me and don't stare at the parts. I don't want you to stare at. I know it's, it's honestly so embarrassing. <laughs> the, the amount of work that goes into something like that is just so cool. You know, shout out to the TEDx uh, Tucson uh, volunteers, man. I, I, <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> When I tell people this, they're like, dude, you're lying. But I'm like, no, I'm not. Because for me, like the problem areas were like sweaty pits. Like I just like, I don't want to be up there a mess. I don't want to be a mess. Yeah. And so like I had one of them throw like a maxi pad right there. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's totally. like it worked. <laughs> I've done over 30 TV shows, right? So I've done like, oh, TLC, HGTV, a and &E. I've done the Tyra Banks show. I've done a ton of stuff. And every time I get that call, the first thing that I think is, oh God, what am I going to wear? Every <laughs> time does. Not, not what am I going to say? Because I have total confidence in myself as yeah. an organizer. I'm like, oh, I'll nail that. But wait, what am I going to wear? Like what's, oh, because it, you know, what it is, is that it's, it's the way I look at doing a TEDx talk is it is performance art. So you have yeah. to walk on stage. If I'm wearing a formal dress, that is a very different communication than if I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt. If I, you yeah. know, it's like, and you need to find the story. Like there was a, a story that I did or a, a talk that I did once on sharks. And I had this whole vision. I'm, I love sharks and I really advocate for them to not be killed by the millions as they are, because they're very important to our ecosystem and just our planet and our livelihood and everything. Um, and so what I did is I basically did a love story about sharks and I went on stage wearing a bubblegum pink dress that was like a line and super sweet and feminine and I was like I'm in love and the whole audience is staring at my boyfriend and they're like you lucky guy and yeah. I see a picture and I like take the picture off and it's this giant shark and everyone's like what <laughs> but it was, it was like getting them to like have an experience so like whatever you're wearing is part of the experience and I know for me the challenge when I'm doing tv 
And when I did the TEDx talk is I want you to not think about what I look like. I want you to yeah. just know that I've got my shit together and you look at my face and listen to my words. And and yeah. that's really tricky as a female because like mama's got some mama's got some mammary glands. Okay. Like this is very <laughs> easy to be real fast. So it's like I have to work really hard to, to move that attention off. You know, it's like there's nothing to see here, folks. They're for milk. Go, go, go. <laughs> so it really, I mean, it does, it takes a lot to be like, oh, I don't want you know, people to be thinking of me naked this whole talk. Thank you. <laughs> Yo, shout out, shout out to you. So the term mammary gland has been mentioned for the first time yes. on the Men of Purpose podcast right now. So thank you. <laughs> Do we have a Men of Purpose bingo? Like, can we play? <laughs> I think we should because at the first one, like, uh, <laughs> I think we said penis. Like, I was oh. like, dude. Oh, <laughs> oh, if you want to do this, I'll fill the board right now. I have a mouth like a sailor desk. Like, <laughs> prepare yourself, listeners. Ready. Oh, my God. I, I freaking love that. So thank you for that. We'll, we'll definitely play bingo as, as we're going along. Mammary glands is on the map. <laughs> well, I think, Star, like, looking back, I obviously I, I got to see you flesh out the talk. Um, and I got to see you absolutely crush the talk. And for me, like, you along with others, help me kind of like think about life a bit differently. And so you have coined yourself as like the clutter whisperer. Um, Tell us about that. Tell us about the evolution of you being the clutter whisperer, because it's such a, God, it's such a fantastic thing. And it's not for me, like your message is not just about like, obviously the, the things or the clutter, but it's also like schedules and how we clutter ourselves and like there's just so much so I'm like holy shit this is great so talk to us about the evolution and like where you got to where you are right now yeah so when I started organizing I you know I had actually it was funny I did a class last night and I what my first ever client ever ever was in that call and I was like did you know that you were my first client because it was like a a trade it was like a friend who's like you're good at organizing come do it And I didn't even know it was a thing. And so when I started organizing, it happened in my world a little accidentally. You know, I was like, oh, suddenly this thing I'm really good at and I like it. And and it took me no time at all to realize that it was not about the stuff. It was about the humans having the experience and that there was a much deeper journey. And I always knew I was a healer and I saw the opportunity really quickly for organizing to be that catalyst. And and so right away I just tracked it. I was like, oh, I'm I'm holding space with something so much bigger for these people. And, and it's, and it's grown so much. And one of the interesting things in my journey was like, you know, I started my business when I was 24, I was a baby. I, you know, like I remember wearing my glasses. Shout out to you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like a, like a toddler. Um, Now I look back. Right. And like, so I started my business when I was 24 and like, and I used to wear my glasses to work and a blazer jacket because I wanted people to take me seriously. I mean, in truth, I look the exact same now as I did at 24, as I did at 14. I just have like more smile wrinkles, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like, I work so hard to be like, take me seriously. You know, it's, but, but the truth is that the, the intuition that I had has only grown. And even from the first year, I was known as the spiritual organizer because I wanted to talk about the, the real purpose of the clutter. Why is it here? What's going on? And I feel the same as you, that the TEDx talk really helped step me into another level because Mary Reed, who's the coordinator, and, and Doug Stevenson, who is the coach, they were both pros. Like, Mary pushed me. And she was like, Star, I get a lot of shit about me being hard on you because, you know, because everyone's like, Oh, she's so natural. And it's like, but she's like, I know you can be better. And I was like, I want to be better. So I love that she asked me to take my idea and push it further. Right. So anyone who has an idea to do a TEDx talk, 
please know it's not about if you're a good speaker. It's do you have an idea and have you pushed that idea beyond what the standard norm is and have you taken it to the edge? Like, are you uncomfortable saying what you're yeah. saying? And that's yeah. where you want to be when you give that talk. And, and so, yeah, so for me, just being able to open that door and push that through, it has been so powerful. And I kind of stopped giving a fuck if I was yeah. okay with what everyone else thought. Like, oh, is, yeah. do you guys like how I'm phrasing this? It's like, no. If two people need to hear this message and that's my purpose in life, I will go talk to those two people. And the other people who want to talk about boxes and labels and like folding techniques, there's plenty (laughs) of people who are going to talk about that. I want to talk about why your heart is broken and how you're using clutter to cover that. Like, or how the clutter is stopping you from actually wanting to take your life to the next level. Yeah. So it's like, let's go there. Like, let's go to where the, the juice is. So it really has been incredible to use that opportunity to like do deeper digs inside of ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and even then it's like afterwards, I remember I was working on a book and the first few versions of what I was being asked to create were so out of alignment. And after doing that twice, I was like, yeah, I'm going to walk away from this for a minute. You know, and I remember I had to go to my agent and I was like, I'm so sorry, but I, I'm not feeling good about this. And I walked away, even though I know I could have pushed it and pushed it and gotten a small book deal and done this thing. And I was like, I don't want to write that book. I want to write this book. And if it's not gelled enough to go to, to be published yet, I'm not like, I'm, I'm sitting on it until it's time because I have a message and I have something to say. Yeah. There, there's so much that that's that goes into that because I think kind of thinking back uh you know shout out to Mary and Doug once again is like Doug did such a fantastic job as our speaking coach and for me like I don't know about you but I live my life through metaphor like I like to think of myself as hero's journey like that's just that's just what that's how I operate it what's it's what gets me up in the morning where I'm like uh I'm gonna go be a hero somehow uh, I'm just gonna go do it Right. And so um, one of the things that he came across and I, and I tend to find this with people kind of living their life is like, I remember him saying like, you all sound like fucking academics. He's Mm -hmm. like, no one wants to be like PowerPoint slided to like, they want, they want to feel they're here to see you be successful. Yes. And I feel like a lot of times people forget that, like the people most, let me say most, not all, most people want to see people be successful. They want to see you be your most authentic self. And I feel like star for you, the stories that you tell are just so they're, they're hero's journey. Like it's what I hear. Right. And you know, you, you told the story of um, a couple of people during the talk and I'm sure you have a bunch of others, but one of the ones I, I really want you to tell our, our listeners is a story of, um, the I think it was the guy that uh, had half of his bed like cluttered or something like like t- tell us that story because I think it's so much that has to do with clutter and and intimacy and it's just I thought I remember hearing I was like holy shit <laughs> yeah so that was James and James had this beautiful home he lived in in LA and he was like tall dark handsome good looking right all the things everyone you know wants wants a man to be um and he had all of that and I walked into his house and I always am a little sketch when a man hires me like 90 Five percent of my clients are female, so the five percent because of your memory glance. Exactly, they're like, "We recognize that, Mama." Like totally. 
<laughs> but when a man calls, I'm like, where did you find me? Are you coming on to me? Are you trying to murder me? Like, I'm just a little bit more like, yeah. And, and most men that hire me don't have a lot of clutter, which adds to this great mystery when I walk into their house. Cause I'm like, where's the plastic? Is there an ax? Like what's happening? <laughs> like, just walk on plat. Like, Oh, I'm just painting. Like, no, you're not. Goodbye. <laughs> like American psycho. Like, I'm like, am I okay? Like, yeah. the safe word. Um, but so I walked into his house and the front of his house was beautifully organized and decorated. It looked like a Dwell magazine advertisement. It was beautiful. He had taken time and painted and chosen beautiful furniture and it was really gorgeous. And I'm thinking like, again, yeah, like, am I about to be murdered? Like, you know, like what's going on? But I walk in and he's such a nice man. Like I, I joke about this, but also like, that's just, you know, <laughs> part of life. Um, so we walk in, we do the whole house and I'm thinking, what does he want me to work on? And then I'm thinking it's coming on to me. What's like, okay, what's really going on here? And then he's like, well, let me show you the bedroom. And I'm like, like Lee's story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, take me out to dinner first. Uh, me out. <laughs> work. Um, no, he takes me into the bedroom and he's like a little hesitant to open the door. He's like a little like, eh. and he pushes open the door. And on the left side of the bedroom is this giant wall of boxes. And the boxes took up from behind the door all the way to the wall, completely covering the partner side of the bed the nightstand, like that entire side of the room was, was covered. And then the part, what would have been the partner side of the bed was also covered and like laundry and paperwork and like candy wrappers, like that bed was covered. And he had like one space for him to sleep, but everything else was cluttered. And again, even in his bedroom, everything else was organized except that area. And so for me as a clutter whisperer and clutter detective, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at not, you know, not where is the clutter. It's also where isn't the clutter, like, because Where you don't have clutter tells a lot about what's functioning well in your life and where the clutter is built up tells me a lot because every room in the house represents an area of your life and right and then every object within that stuff basically tells a part of the story of how you're getting your need met by having that yeah. stuff there and so in this case um, we basically worked through the clutter over the next few months and it was actually way more that that stuff was keeping him safe. So he had been in a really um, traumatic relationship that did not go well for him. And he hadn't yeah. dated in at least 10 years. Like he was, it had closed his heart off. And, you know, it's, it is far easier to say, oh, I can't have anyone over. My house can't, can't, you know, I can't have someone come in this deep. It's easier to say that than it is to say, I'm terrified you're going to rip my heart out and stomp it. Yeah, like that's and so I can't have you over because I don't have, you know, I don't have space or, you know, even if you do take up with someone else, you have to go to their house. So it's like I'm playing it safe because I'm only letting you in so far. And yeah. so the clutter really was acting as this beautiful buffer for him. And then when we cleared it, like it was really we have to go slow. We have to take our time. It's an emotional process. It's really a journey. Um, nobody hires me that just wants me to put things in a box with labels. You're on a journey if you're working with me. And mm-hmm. after we got done, I remember like within six months, he called me. And he had started dating someone shortly after we finished our process and they got engaged and they're still married. It's been years and he's still married. They're super happy and it's beautiful. And it's because he did the work of showing up for himself and facing those demons, because I think it's really unfortunate that in our society, men aren't given the emotional support, right? We're not in old caveman days where women are home in a compound commune together and Mm -hmm. men are out on their own hunting and fishing, right? We're all living together and no one is making space, not no one, but 
it is not often that there is space being made for men's complicated feelings or yeah. their fears or their, you know, their process. And so it really is important to honor that. And our clutter can be a very safe and positive way to do that because instead of sitting down and saying, hey, therapist, I've never met before. I'd like to show you my sad little heart bits, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. like you get to sit down with someone and work through your clutter and you get to have some wins. Like, okay, this is going well, this is going well. Oh gosh. And this part is ripping my heart out. And yeah. then we work through it and then we keep going. And it, it's this beautiful dance of like really achieving something, which who doesn't like to achieve something along with healing something. And this, in this ability to rock back and forth between the two of I can get something done and have a big feeling. And then I have something to do when I'm having that big feeling. So I don't have to sit with the overwhelming (laughs) sense of this feeling. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) You're, you're absolutely right. Because I think in a, in a lot of ways, um, I like to like refer to myself as like an enlightened man um, because, you know, my father was, was, was an amazing or is an amazing man. Um, And I've talked about this on on our podcast before, like, you know, he just really struggled uh, to be a really great husband because, you know, it was his conditioning. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, just a lot of the guys that I know is that we're not giving the emotional tools to be able to be very transparent, to be vulnerable, because it's not seen as a strength. And I like the parallel that you talk about with this, with James, where it's like, okay, well, he has these really deep traumatic hurts. And this is how he's expressing it because he hasn't been given the words to be able to say like, I'm hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. No, no, go ahead. Always inspire me to say more. I'm like, like one of the, (laughs) and part of the problem in our society is nobody gets help until the house is on fucking fire. Nobody. You've got to be at the point of divorce before you are willing and able to like reach out and have someone say, Oh, let me help you with that. Like, Oh, call me like, no, you wait until the house is on fire. And that's, it's funny because when I start dating a man, he gets like a book list. Like I'm like, oh, it's so good to see you. Please check if you've read any of these. And if you have some homework, <laughs> I could pretty much like my 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 boyfriend was like, this is a lot of books, and I'm like, it's just gonna make things easier. But like yeah. one of my favorite books is Getting the Love You Want, and it's all about um, really loving communication. And that book, it's it's written for. Couples who are on the brink of divorce is what it's written for. And yet I use that with friends. I use it with clients. I use it with family. I use it with my partner. I use it with myself. Like having that blueprint of why we have the extreme feelings we do in the ways that we do, why we manifest the partnerships and the bosses and the coworkers we do um, is really important to know because then what ends up happening is we're not letting our biology drive the boat. We have the tools to say, oh, I picked that person because they remind me of my mom and I'm trying to work through that baggage. Okay, I can work with this. And here's yeah. here are the five simple things, actionable things we can do to make these hard communications go better. And yeah. it's, you know, it's it's so simple as when you don't know the tools, it feels like an insurmountable mountain. And the minute you have the tools, it becomes actionable and clear and just like, oh, that's what's going on. Got it. Let's go. Yeah. Because I think, Star, in a lot of ways too, and, and I really love, you know, you talked about this in the in the TEDx talk, and I've heard you talk about it in in different like uh, blogs or, or things or interviews that you, that you've given. You and I'm I'm probably going to butcher it, so correct me. Uh, you said that like you can tell when a couple is absolutely in love or when they're on the brink of divorce. Yeah. Uh, what are those telltale signs? Because it's so funny. My wife and I have been together for you know six plus years. We've been married for like. Uh, 
so May will be our second anniversary. Um, and I always like joke, like when things are a mess, like, Oh my God, I'm passionately in love with her. I'm in love with her. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, there's both though. You're probably passionate in love with her and you want to kill her sometimes like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, totally. fix the bed. <laughs> it's like you will pick the one person in a hundred who's going to trigger and push your buttons. So it's not a matter yeah. of like, Oh, I just need to find the right partner. I haven't found the right partner. If they piss you off, it's the right partner. <laughs> like they're inviting in your next level of growth. Like that's just the truth of it. It's like, I could give you a hundred people and 99 you would get along really well with. Like you and I would never be attracted to each other probably because we would get along all the time and be like, Oh my yeah. gosh, it's so easy. <laughs> right? It's like, but you would never like your penis would be like, mm, I'm just not feeling her. Like it's yeah. just, I just <laughs> she's, she's great to hang out with but god dang like she doesn't piss me off <laughs> oh, exactly. but there's something we, we want that fire because that fire shows us where we're working and growing yeah it's exciting it's challenging it's it's intriguing it's powerful and yeah. i love that about relationships because they take wherever you are you can only grow so much on your own and then a relationship goes whew, next level it's just i mean through the roof and yeah it's like if you look at a rocket do you want to be at the underneath the rocket when it's going into no i don't want that fire in me but that's exactly what's happening like you're elevating and it takes some force to elevate and so yeah i just think so i did um i did a class recently that's uh for sale on my website and it's about decluttering love and it's so powerful it's like okay because i thought i was gonna be married at 19 i did i was like i'm gonna get married and have 10 kids why because in my mind that was like 19 yeah, like, I, like, I want to like well because my parents did my parents were high school sweethearts they got married they I'm like a, figuring out how to get a fake idea from that time <laughs> oh, I already had one by then right <laughs> <laughs> I was a girl like I was like oh like I remember sorry sidebar for anyone like who's in sidebar <laughs> sidebar always sidebar with us that's why we have extra time because we're like we just can't stop can't stop one stop yeah so we're I, just gonna go to who cares you know, when, I school, <laughs> when I was in high school I used to tell my parents that I was going to a party on Melpamine. That's like a road on the east side of Tucson. I was like, oh, we're going to this party on Melpamine. My parents are like, okay, because they're cool parents. We're like, go to that party, girl. Have fun. Yeah. While I'm down on the U of A party on the college <laughs> campus, right? And I got a break. I actually drove by Melpamine the other day and I was like, oh, that's where it is. I just like the name of it. I just thought it sounded nice. Oh, Melpamine. I'm on Melpamine. <laughs> Why does that name sound so damn familiar? It's on the east side. Side, yeah. It's a north-south road. It's yeah, but I was like, oh, that's where I used to tell you I was partying when I wasn't. So yeah, yeah. In college, I was in the bars. It was like yeah, I was always like one step ahead. <laughs> so there was, but like, but I, you know, I thought I was going to be married at nineteen. I wasn't, but man, I am masterful at manifesting love. Like I, I wrote this list in high school of like, you know, like five pages of what I wanted in a partner, and I'm proud to say that I've manifested all of those things. It just took like seven partners to do it. <laughs> it took yeah more humans than that but that but I do it's like the the power of our partnership is really what takes us all to the next level and the fact that we can actually use that to grow is powerful just like we use the clutter to grow or we use the food to grow this is all a vehicle it's how you use it it's how you drive that car is what mm-hmm. you're going to get out of it yeah and, and I think that that's so important too because you know we're you you were just mentioned that like you're kind of running classes, right? And and just helping people. And I think in a lot of ways, what is really cool, you know, especially for our listeners out there who have relationships or are looking to get them, is that like your your stuff can really speak about where you are in life, right? And you just mentioned that like things that are organized and cleanly are the areas that are going really well. 
right? I, I have this like cool little home studio that I've created for myself because I really wanted to do more food demos and whatnot. And so if you look in here, it's like, all right, this, this looks great. But then if you go out where like my daughter has her, all of her stuff, it's like fucking disaster. <laughs> totally, totally. But that's also the chaos of kids is important, right? Yeah. Like, chaos of kids is really big. They need that, that creative space to play. And then we get to help them as their, their adults in charge, like help them figure out, well, how do we take that chaos and move it into some sort of order so that they can play in the chaos when they want yeah. that's their homeostasis, like the, yeah. they both, you know? Yeah. Cause I, I think that's another thing too. Like I, I came from a family that was completely like structure. Like you get up, you fix your bed, things are clean in your room, bathroom gets clean, and then you can go do whatever you want type of thing. Yeah. Right. And so coming from a family of five, like each of us had chores and, and for the most part, like the house was like orderly and clean. Um, my wife didn't come from that. Right. And so what's really hard, like my daughter gets to be creative in her own ways. It's really hard for me to be like, Oh my God, she's making a mess and not see like, Oh, she's having her creative time. I need to shut up and just get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's because like, there's a mix of, we want our home to feel a certain way to us that feels yeah. powerful and, and, and inspiring. Um, and then there's also, we know like when I'm, so I spend a lot of time with my friend who has uh, two toddlers and when I play with them, half the time I'm really, really playing hard, right? I'm like, let's do this. And the other half I'm cleaning up behind them as we go. Cause I'm like, I don't want to spend another three hours cleaning tonight. <laughs> I'm just like, you guys are going to put everything back in. Like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's just, but it's, I feel like with kids, it's, it's really, and it's the same with us. How do we allow ourselves to create chaos so we can play? Cause give me an artist and they don't want to only play with three colors. They want to have 27 and go crazy and just yeah. explore. Or just like me as a wordsmith, like I love doing poetry, but if you said you can only use these 20 words, I'd be like, uh, gross. Like I'm not writing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, um, but it's, you know, like, yeah, like you want the chaos to create yeah. from. So, but it is, it takes a minute to process our own feelings. Like my partner and I are very different with our stuff. Um, he's yeah. the partner that has not wanted me to organize his house. And he <laughs> honestly does. He doesn't. And, and he, cause he's like, I like my stuff the way it is, but I'm like, I could make it so much better. And, yeah. better. and I'm like, but I, I don't understand. <laughs> it's like, but I don't get the truth is like, who am I to say that my version of complete should be everyone else's like it's, and it's only yeah. because it's in my home that I have an expectation on it. And it shows my own insecurity that it's like, if you walk into my house, does, are you going to judge that his sock drawer is overflowing? Probably not. Yeah. You are like, yeah. uh, no thing. <laughs> like, get out of here. <laughs> exactly. But it takes yeah. a second. It shows our own frailty when we have that, that concern instead of just allowing the people that we share space with to be free. Like, truly yeah, free. truly free. Cause I, and that, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Cause first off, I wanted to celebrate that you found such a special person. Uh, I saw that post the other day and I was like, yo, 100% star deserves that. I'm so happy that she, she found her person and that she gets to be local. So when, you know, the world is done burning down. We're going to go hang out. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. So I, I, again, I'm, I'm walking my dog and I'm like, all right, that's a good point. Cause I do want to ask her about that. So uh, as a dietitian, it, it's so funny because I'll, my wife will tell me about her friends like, Oh my God, you're married to a dietitian. You must like eat salads all the time and eat so well. And my wife is usually like, yeah, he's not that type of dietitian. Right. <laughs> right? So on food fights, okay? Just yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so so the other day like I'm I'm like rushing around making dinner. I didn't really get to eat lunch and so like <laughs> as I'm making dinner, I have like 
hummus, a couple things of veggies and chips. And I'm just like eating on the fly as I'm making. And my wife comes in. She's like, oh, my God, what is going on right now? And I was like, I'm hungry. And she's like, we're about to eat. And I was like, I'm hungry right now. I, I skipped lunch today. got super busy. And she was like, I so want to take an image of this and send this to your clients. And I was like, please do. I always tell them that eating is an imperfect process. And so I want to ask you how clutter organization and things like that work in your relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. So, yeah. So um, <laughs> we talk about this a lot and thank God he's willing to let me share stories, which is great. Cause if he was like overly private, I'd be like, Oh no. Um, <laughs> you know, he's what I respect about him is he knows himself and he has from day one and he doesn't feel like he needs to shift and dance for me. He doesn't feel like, Oh, I needed to clean. Um, when, when I came over the first time, it's not like he tried to make it perfect for me, which I appreciate. <clears throat> but the challenge is that I can be what my mom likes to call the dictator. So not when I'm working, if you pay me and you, and I'm working, I'm like all heart. Like, I'm like, what do you want? How do we manifest your best life? Like, let's do this. You can do it. But I tell you what does, if you are in my home and you are threatening my experience day to day with your fucking <laughs> I swear to God, like get your shit together. Get it together. Get it together. Yeah. It actually is so funny. So like I get in here and I had said to him, like, there are things that I need. I said, I just need you to understand that I come with a wake. And he's like, what does that mean? I was like, you know, like when a boat goes through the harbor. That's a really good way to put this. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like a yacht, like, rah, like a cruise ship, like oh, all these like layers. So, you know, I came in and I was like, look, for me to feel like we're in homeostasis, I need the bedroom to have some shifts. And so we shifted the bedrooms, but then I don't stop because to me, it's so easy. So basically like then every, yeah, we're like, like we go in the kitchen and we're going to cook down together and he heats up the stove and I throw myself on the ground, rip everything out of one of the lower cabinets, categorize it. Well, I haven't asked his permission, by the way, we barely <laughs> put it together. And I was like, do you need to keep these? Can I throw these away? Is this really important? Yeah. <laughs> and it takes me 10 minutes. I put everything back and he's poor guy has just been like dry humped like by his girlfriend he's <laughs> and he's like what just happened <laughs> yeah like, he'll be crossing the house I'm like hey I just opened this stuff do you need these like are, how important is this? <laughs> it's like I'm trying to like purge and contain and organize where do you really need these at so he's great about rolling with my punches but the truth is what I've had to learn in our relationship is to dial that back like I yeah. need to embrace the imperfection of we're not moving as fast as I would move if I were working and I have to like allow the imperfection, the fact that we're in transition, be a part of it and sit with my own feelings of discomfort. And he also has to move a little faster than he's comfortable with because, you know, like I cleaned out the pantry and there was all this expired food. And he was like, I want that to go to a homeless shelter. And I'm thinking like, they don't want creatine powder. Um, <laughs> 2018, you know, I'm like, they're not into that. But, um, but I wanted to honor his experience. So I gave him like. No, everyone has that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I know because like they make it expire in a month. But yeah. I, can you please handle this? And after a month, I was like, "Honey, I'm starting to feel suffocated by the stuff in the hallway." And so we had to have a talk. But it's like, but just like anything else, everything that comes up, clutter, food, whatever, it's inviting a deeper relationship with ourselves and with our partner. That it's like, okay, it's not a matter of this is my house, my rules, or him doing it that way. But it's us coming together and saying, "Look, I want you to have the time, and I'm going to support you to get it done." But I also need it done within this timetable. Like this, I can't have this sitting here for three months because you're uncomfortable. Like I'll sit with you in your discomfort, and then let's take action that feels yeah. really positive. There's always a solution for both people every single time. Yeah. 
I, I love the fact star that like you, the, the theme of what you're talking about there is like understanding that there is some difficulty with obviously merging two people. Yeah. And there's even further difficulty to to call one another out, but in a way where it's like, let's have a conversation because even just like with what you had said, like, hey, I'm starting to feel <laughs> a bit claustrophobic with these things in the hallway, yeah. right? And I think a, a lot of us either figuratively or metaphorically have those things in the hallway that we just need to either get rid of or put away, just get out of my face, <laughs> right? Totally, totally. Because we have that. We, we have that here, too. And it, it's so funny because for me, as we're talking about this, it's like, you know what? Like, there are projects around the home that I'm like, let, let me. All right. Side sidebar. Do it. You guys are used to this by now. Who cares? Do it. <laughs> all right. So we bought our home. <clears throat> we bought our home. It was like, all right. So we want to. So I remember in one of my therapy sessions, my therapist is like, all right, create your safe space. So what my safe space had was white cabinetry. So when we moved in, I was like, all right, white cabinetry it is. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead and paint it. Well, I, I royally, royally fucked it up. Just like it was horrible. Luckily, I had a friend who came in and we just knocked it out during a weekend and it, it was great. So for me, like <laughs> it's a little bit of trauma because I'm like, I don't want to do another house project. So I'm going to fuck it up. <laughs> and so things don't end up getting done in a timely fashion. And like, it's really great because my wife and I get to have some of these convos of like, all right, so... Now that the kid is down, now that we at least have time to connect, it's really hard to not just connect on just like scheduling, but just also just like, hey, what are some conversations that we need to have? Right. And and I love the fact that that you had just talked about that. So I think it's so important. And and I'm glad that you also talk about like I come in, you said wakes, right? <laughs> Dude, so do I. Like for me, it's like my bugaboos are like if we're doing some type of pasta or anything like let's make sure it's whole grain mm -hmm. and also don't organize the fridge. Like I, I got a system. I need to make sure first in first out. That just goes back to like my school totally, <laughs> to, totally. to navigate it against food waste. That's just, that's just let me have those things. Don't touch those things. Right. Yeah, totally. But I <laughs> so think, like you're so confident about that. You'll do it. It's like, okay, yeah. good. He's driving that ship. I can go take another part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I, cause I think that stuff is important. I think like for our listeners out there to understand, like you're all going to have your stuff, but making sure that you are also taking the time and the bandwidth to have these conversations. Cause they're, they are really important. Well, and one of the biggest ways that I see people hiding is obsessing about someone else's stuff. Like, oh, <laughs> you see my mom's clutter. Oh, it's so bad. Like, you should see my aunt's clutter. It's horrible, right? Like, they're so obsessed with fixing someone else's problem that, by the way, may not be a problem. Your mom's clutter or your aunt's clutter may not be an issue to them. They're the ones who have to yeah. do it. If it's an issue to you, that's a you problem. Like, that's not yeah. a problem. And so it's like if people are so much more comfortable looking outside of themselves and wanting to control that because mm -hmm. it's too scary sometimes to sit with our own shit and have to yeah. feel that discomfort. Like, I have control issues. It's one of the things that I mean, and I found a career that lets me make money. Honestly, that should be like, I should get a gold star for that alone. Like I'm making money doing the thing that most people need therapy for. So it's, and, and I know how to do it with boundaries. And so, but knowing that it's like, I get to go a little slower when it comes to my triggers for that control to pop up or my, my need to manage certain things. And instead I get to just lean back. Like I said, when I put my, my Bose socks away the other day, I was like, 
help is he survive like this? <laughs> I was like, <sighs> and instead I just like, I went live for my community and I was like, I need to have some support controlling my feelings. It's <laughs> like, what's really going on? It's not his socks. His socks are fine. Honestly, like it works for him. Who am I to say it's wrong, but it's my own feelings. And so I have to sit with that, that it's like, okay, well, there is a fallacy in my mind that says that if our house was perfectly organized, then I don't have to be afraid of what comes next. Yes. And that's, we know wow. that's true. You can be married yeah. with kids and still get a divorce or separated. But the truth is yeah. that from this last year with the, with the transitions, I had gotten rid of everything I owned and I was in a state of transition when COVID hit. And then I've been in a place of like, okay, where am I, where am I going? What am I doing? And so it's scary to feel like, oh, I still am in that feeling of uncertainty and me wanting to control the organization of the house makes me feel like everything will be okay, even though the truth is we don't know that. So yeah. I actually to focus on my fear more than organizing because that's not the real problem. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another area too, Star, that I really wanted to talk about is is what I've been doing with with a lot of our, our guests Um is talking about like one big thing that 2020 has taught them. Um, and, and for me, it was like, one, how to be resourceful and two, like how to believe in, in myself. Like I can do hard things. It's like what I tell my, my daughter all the time. Like, Hey, you can do hard things. Get up. Let's go. <laughs> right. Um, and so for you, like you talked about, like you were in a state of transition and, and you and I talked off air a couple of weeks ago about like just updates about what you were doing. So like tell our listeners, like what did 2020 teach you about yourself? Yeah, 2020, you know, came with a wrath and it was for me, at least a beautiful wrath, right? Like, I mean, not mm-hmm. all the time during it, you take a temperature at different times that I've been like, this year sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have my bright, shiny silver lining right now. Um but what it, what it taught me is that my self-care is a part of my career. That yeah. actually has to be integrated for me to be sane. So before, I would just run and work, 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 and I could stay in this, like, frenzy of busyness constantly. And what I've learned this year is that I am better for everyone in my life, including my clients, including my business, when I am integrating my self-care as a part of it, my meditation, my yoga, my workouts, my whatever. It's before it seemed like it was the thing that I'd put on the back burner burner because it's like, well, that's for me. I'll do it later. But the truth is you get a thousand times better me if I do that stuff, if it's Mm -hmm. even an abbreviated version of it. So that's one of the things that I learned is because I had all this time and I realized a lot of my... Uh, frenzy busyness was self-created because I never yeah. stopped. I never Netflixed and chilled. I never was like, oh, I'll just relax and go deep on the show. I worked harder because I hide in my work. I'm a workaholic. And so I will go yeah. deep down that rabbit hole of work. I'll work, you know, there was weeks where I didn't even take a day off because it was so uncomfortable to sit with my feelings. And so being able to see that it's like, oh, I have nowhere to be, nothing to do. I don't mm-hmm. have these old constructs. It I can like, just be. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm still, it's still a practice because it's like, oh, I have to, uh, if I wake up and I'm anxious and I feel like I'm behind for who I'm my boss and the employee, like who am I, who's behind and who's punishing no one. So it's like, okay, great. Because what I do know to be true is that when we're in our flow, when we're in our genius zone, we can do eight hours of work in four hours. I know I can, like Mm -hmm. I can get an obscene amount of work done in a very short period of time. And it's more about getting the right things done than it is getting all the things done. Um, Yeah. 
the universe is there to meet you and to help move things along that need to be moved along. And it's just, I feel like when we have our ego involved and when we've got to do it ourselves and we have this idea, that's when things are the slowest, the gunkiest, the most frustrating. Um, And so this year has really been me learning how to dance in harmony with the world at large, my career and my, my loved ones and to not need to know what the next step is and instead just show up today for what I need to do to be my best self in this moment. Yeah. So Star, let's, let's kind of touch on the, on the workaholism piece, because I think one thing that I'm, that I'm hearing and, and I like you, like I, one of the biggest blessings of this past year was for me, like given the, the huge opportunity just to become, I mean, you, you, you know me by now, right. Just to become a better father. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been so lucky. Yeah. And at the same time, she'll, she'll like, tell me like, dad, I need space. <laughs> I see you a lot. It's like, bro, bro, I see you a lot too. <laughs> you poor, poor thing. Right. Yeah. So That's like, um, are so cute. So that yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So like half the time, I'm like, yo, I, I love you too. I'll, I'll go to the other room. <laughs> like, Okay. <laughs> Um, but one thing that I've been constantly hearing is like, you know, there's been this transfer to working from home and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can really resonate with this is like, there was a point where you were kind of clocking in, uh, at, you know, eight to five or nine to five, but now you're clocking in as the teacher, as someone who's trying to take care of themselves. And so like, you're working way more hours than you thought you ever could. And right now, a lot of people might just be really struggling with like, well, the only way that I can't feel the fear behind the pandemic or the fear behind what's going on with our presidential race or, or whatever, right? It's like, the only thing I can do right now is work. And so star for you, like, what was the moment that you recognize that like, damn, like all I'm doing is working and I'm working to not feel. And that moment that you kind of transition towards like, fuck, I got to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, well, so it's, for me, it's one of my main coping mechanisms, like overworking an ice cream. Like that's just, that's all (laughs) or cocaine or like (laughs) sex, maybe there are three things, just those three things. things. All of those have to be available at any moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I want. Come on. Um, But I've known for years, like when I'll have a, when I've had a breakup in the past, the first thing I do is book a month of client work somewhere else. I, I accept a really big job that will not let me stop. And it's, and I've seen myself do it over the last 15 years that that's one of my big coping mechanisms. So this made perfect sense. And it always has like, it seems really real. So when I, when COVID hit, I was in the middle of a launch. And for anyone who does online marketing, you know, a launch takes a lot of time, energy and bandwidth. So there's so much, it's like, I feel like I'm giving birth during my launch times. And so it's a lot of energy. And when it hit, I was like, I don't know what to do. Do I stop my launch? Keep going with it. You know, so it actually, I was in the middle of, of a time where I actually had to work. I couldn't just let it fall apart. And I needed to pivot it properly because when you're marketing to your list, you can't blow an opportunity because I can't call them again for another three months. And I need to make sure that I'm not wasting their time. So, mm-hmm. so it really felt real, but I, I honestly think it wasn't until I don't even know, maybe, maybe six months in that I was like, I've done everything I needed to do. Why am I still aggressively feeling like it's not enough? And, and having that moment of, you know, like pullback. I think the other thing too is, so June is a really tough month for me. So my sister um, took her own life 10 years ago. And that time of year is her birth 
her birthday and her anniversary. And it doesn't matter that it's been 10 years. That month wipes me out. The beginning yeah. of June, end of May, I start feeling like somebody put a wet blanket over me and I, I move so much slower and I can't, I don't have my star hands and shine. I'm like barely putting one foot in front of the other. And so I think that month also was kind of maybe the kickoff. And I was like, wow, I really can't keep feeling like I need to be feeding this fire because my body, because of the grief has become unavailable to me now. And, mm -hmm. and I think that was actually the initial part where I thought, wow, something has to shift because this isn't sustainable. And, and I did, I had to slow down and, and shift because again, the, the goal was perceived. Um, the goals were all perceived, but the beauty is that because it's, it's this weird time where it's not like I can go and do the things I used to do. The feeling is like, what the fuck? Let's play. Like, yeah. let's do the thing that like may fall on its head because guess what? I wasn't going to make that money anyways. Let's do this thing that, you know, it's like, let's try working a four day work week instead of a five day work week. Let's try doing 10 hour days instead of eight. You know, it's like, let's play with working out in the middle of the day. You know, it's like, I have the option to do anything. And so it went from feeling like this frenetic, I have to, to being totally stopped in my tracks and then saying, let's play, which, you know, yeah. reminds me so much of you Jess, because it's really, that's where I, I want to be operating from a sense of play. It's, I want it to be fun and joyful, not yeah. to feel so heavy all the time. Which is really hard. I, I think I really resonate with a lot of what you're talking about there. Cause at the start of the pandemic for me, like I, I kind of got into this scarcity mode. Um, and I, and I've told the story to our listeners and I'll, and I'll go ahead and tell it again. Cause I think it's just, it's, it's so fruitful. You know, at the, at the start, I was like, shit, no one's going to want to buy nutrition coaching right now. Everyone's going to be in scarcity mindset. Um, damn, like I need a, this dream of mine that I've been trying to build, like I, I need to put it on hold a little bit. Uh, so I took a clinical dietitian uh, like interview and ended up getting the job. And like, I remember telling the woman, like, let me go talk to my wife. Let me think about this. What I was trying to say, like, I don't want to do this. Let me think about this. Yeah. And I remember getting, I remember getting off the phone and I was like, no, like, you know, shout out to all of our clinical RDs out there. I know we got a lot of like RD to, to Bs and uh, dietitians who listen to this podcast, but that's just not me. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't like clinical dietetics. Like I, I left it because I did not like it because I wanted to do something more for me. So I remember having that moment and I was like, shit, okay, I got to figure this out. I, I got to figure it out. So let me start with coming from a place of giving. And so a couple other really great friends of mine, and we did a like online symposium, crushed it. And like that kind of provided me with an opportunity to be like, okay, for me to be successful in this, I'm going to have to add value first. I'm going to have to connect with people first and then also make sure that I'm taking care of myself in the process. And really the only way to do that right now is, is, is to play. Like I have to... I have to figure out how to <laughs> to be with my daughter all the time and have her be okay with it. <laughs> and it's something just so fruitful because I think in a lot of ways um, you get lost in the clutter of our our schedule and, and our meetings. And so, like that was one thing, Star, that really spoke to me. I was listening. I, I forgot her name, um, but she's from New Mexico. I think she was like in a New Mexico pageant. You were on oh, one of her podcasts. Actually, Ashley Mora. Okay. Yeah. So like, I remember listening to it. I was like, Oh, shout out. Cause I'm from New Mexico. I was like, all right, cool. Um, but you guys had briefly mentioned something about like the clutter of our schedules. Cause when I think of clutter, I think of just like stuff. Mm -hmm. What are some other things that provide clutter? 
Yeah. So clutter definitely is our schedules. It's the things that we commit to. It's the things we think we should do. It's our tasks, like the things that we actually need to do or perceive we need to do. Um, It's also like our social media. It's our phones. It's our email. It's our text messages. It's advertisements on the television when you're watching it. It's the ads on the radio. It's, I mean, everything because we're in sensory overload constantly. Even if you walk into a room that is organized, but the objects in it feel out of harmony for you, that's going to feel like clutter, even if it looks good. You know, if you walk into a space that your ex-partner set up and it looks amazing, but all you think of is the fight you had about choosing the wall color, it's like paint that damn wall, you know? So (laughs) I think the biggest source of clutter is our minds, because the truth is that what is what gets in the way of us solving our clutter and solving anything, you know, this with, you know, we talked about this with COVID, but then it's also with people's food. Um, It's mindset. It's the fact that When you look at that clutter, you don't think, what I think when I see that clutter is, oh, what is it that we're creating? What is here? Like, let's break it down and look at it and then transform it. I'm looking for solutions. When you look at your own clutter, people see what is wrong with me. Why, why can't I get this together? Why is this still an issue? Like everybody else has it together except for me. What's going on? And you go on a five minute beating yourself up parade. Who wants to do anything after they've been having, like had a club taken to them for five minutes? Nobody. Yeah. But when Nobody. you take action, it's like, but you've already beat yourself up so far. So really the, the first and foremost clutter that we deal with is the one between our ears, which is, okay, how are you talking to yourself and how loving can you be? Because I tell you this, if you, if, if your partner talked to you like that, you'd be like, bye, you wouldn't yeah. do it. Yes. <laughs> but yet we do it to ourselves and we're meaner to ourselves than anyone else could possibly be. And mm-hmm. so the most important clutter to address too, is just to start off with our mindset because Um, And it's actually a lot simpler than we think. It's not necessarily that you need eight years of therapy and all of this. Most of us have like three or four consistent nuggets that we're working on, right? So for me, one of it is, one of them is like, there's something wrong with me. If you Mm -hmm. look at any part of my life where I'm struggling, that is one of my themes. There's something wrong with me. Oh my gosh, my body, there's something wrong with me. Oh, my partner, Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with me, right? Or it might be like one of mine also has been, I'll always be alone, I don't know where this came from because, like, I'm I'm never alone, Des. Like, ne- <laughs> like, I haven't been alone in years. Like, I like pray to be alone, but um, but that's one of my fears. I've sat there on my birthday crying and being like, I'm always going to be alone. As I get 150 text messages on my phone, and my friends like, you're insane. Like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I got ten. Shut your pocket. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, like, it's because it's the wounds that we came here to heal. And and that's what the clutter and the food and the mindset offer us is the option to heal. Because the truth is when you heal that, the clutter will go away so much easier. The the need to medicate with food will go away so much easier because you're not in, in a fight or flight, you know, war within yourself. And that's what we're really fighting is that internal clutter, clutter within our minds. Yeah. You know, Star, I really love that. There's there's two things that I, I kind of wanted to address, which I think are so important. Um, I, I oftentimes tell my clients this, shout out to you all, if you're listening, um, like, hey, let's be aware of the things that we tell ourselves. Because if we were to personify our negative self-talk, we wouldn't hang out with that person. That person's a fucking asshole. <laughs> Get, yeah. Get out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, I'm not having coffee with you this morning. Shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> right. So, like, exactly. Like, you're not coming over for Christmas. Like, you're not invited. Because <laughs> um, it's funny that you talk about past conditioning. Like, for me, like, a, a story that I constantly really have to work out is um, 
you're you're not enough. Mm-hmm. Like you you can't get this done. You're not as powerful as you think that you are. Yeah. And this goes back to a moment in my life when I was six that this happened. And so through a, a lot of therapy, a lot of self-care work, I oftentimes have to like take myself. And it's a reason why I keep my seven-year-old, you know, in my desk. Because anytime that I feel myself like talking shit to myself, I'll look at the seven-year-old and be like, yo, you are talking to that little man right there. Stop yeah. it. Right. And so it's, it's, it's really fruitful. Right. And so like uh, piggybacking off of something like that, I kind of want to ask you now, this is completely anecdotal. I don't know if there's any research to say it. So for our listeners out there, I am, I am talking about a possible correlation and I'm asking for stars expertise to say like, yo, have you seen things that are similar? All right. So coming from, you know, I've been in uh, work with eating disorders for 10 plus years. Okay. What I tend to find is that with those who really struggle with binge eating are the same people that when they talk, they, they word vomit. Mm. They're also the same people that at home, it's complete disarray, mm. like complete chaos. And on the opposite end, those who have uh, issues with restricting oftentimes restrict their voice and are completely type A. Mm. Is there any clout to what I'm saying with things that you have seen with clients? Yeah. So the interesting thing with clutter is that clutter is two heads of the same coin, two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. So clutter is often a way to be seen or a way to hide. And so if you look at like, so when you look at somebody who's had like physical, like, like, so, okay, like we'll look at what fat is, for example. So fat is your body trying to like take toxins and surround them with water so that they're safe and you don't die. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, we'll just like make a lot of extra stuff so that this doesn't kill you. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we're, we're basically trying to like fluff out and keep ourselves safe with this protective barrier around us. That's kind Mm -hmm. of what that is. It's like, Oh, let's just fix the world. So there's a part of us that's like hiding behind this wall of like, but also desperately wanting to be seen. So you could at Mm -hmm. the same time have this extra wall because you're trying to be like, do you see me? If I had, would you see me? And it's the same thing with the type A. It's actually, and it's funny because it's the same with clutter. If you're so regimented and so your system is so tight, that's just as much a form of hiding as it is hiding within the clutter. Yeah. Like you being so like attached to perfectionism and making sure that things go a certain way is a hide. It's not Mm -hmm. allowing what is in the present. So, I mean, I do, I do think that I can see both ways for sure. And it's interesting because sometimes you have someone that feels like they have to match this really heightened expectation, just like living in total chaos because they have no idea how to create systems that match the bar in their mind. Like the bar is so high. They're like, I don't know how to scale it. So fuck it. Like I'm just living out loud in this way, but it's true. Like a lot of times it really is. um, It's always a communication and it's like, Hey, listen to me, pay attention to me, see me, acknowledge me, know me, or don't even look at me. I want to be in yeah. to you. You know, it's yeah. like, and I get, I mean, I had eating disorders. I've had all of the eating disorders. It was a delightful chapter of my life, chapters yeah. of my life. And it's, you know, it's a lot. I remember of, you telling it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like I had orthorexia, which is the trickiest little fucker. Like that one. Oh. Like I'm eating so healthy. Look at how healthy Dude, I am. Trying to treat it is also like, yo. <laughs> like, I, I still is, struggle. I'm like, I don't know. Is it healthy or not? Yeah, that 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 one's so tricky to to treat too because it's like listen, I think one way I I have found a couple ways to help people like kind of truly connect with it and I think you and I are 
oftentimes say some of the same messaging, mm-hmm. except yours is clutter and mine is food. Um, but it's like, hey, is this food or something like that keeping you away from your most important relationships? Like, are you finding that you're saying no to dinner with your husband or dinner with your wife because they don't have what's on the menu that you like? Like, come on, like, you got to look at it that way. Right. And usually what I tend to, to, to tell a lot of people is like, look, uh, the only way through your most authentic self is through food. And I feel like you and I tell really similar messages when you're like, the only way through who you want to be is through your clutter. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, it's, we learn so much about ourselves through it. You know, like there, there were times I went to France when I was in my twenties and I, I was so strict on being vegan and all I could find in France. Cause I didn't speak French was almonds. Like I just, yeah, ate I was going to say salad. like, what are you going to eat there? <laughs> I ate almonds and salad and almost passed out every day. Like my poor body was like, we need something else. But I was yeah. like, instead of having that experience of like, Oh, I ate, you know, creme brulee on the, you know, whatever. It's like, I didn't do it. I just like, was like, I'll have these almonds. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, like, and it's funny cause it really does. Um, I'm amazed at how, it is a lifetime journey. So I have been, I think the worst of my eating disorders, I think, was when I was bulimic and anorexic in high school and shortly thereafter. And mm-hmm. I have been, thank God, free and clear from that for a really long time. But it's been 10 years of working on intuitive eating, 10 years of actually trying to not like medicate through food and yeah. really making that a conscious you know, try, but the, because of the orthorexia, and again, it's like anorexia, bulimia, whatever. It's like, these are just different, different hats for the same challenge. Right. Which is just like, I don't feel safe. And I'm looking for some sort of control to help me feel like I'm not going to fall apart and die. Right. So it's that journey. And, you know, like a few months ago, I was getting really bad migraines and my doctor was like, Oh, let's put you on this anti-mold diet. Cause she did all these tests. And so I had to go on this anti-mold diet for three months. And does, I still don't know what to do now. Like it ended. And she was like, Oh, ease back onto food, add one food a day and just see how you feel, which is honestly my version of hell. I'm like, so you want me to torture myself slowly. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. But I ended three days before Christmas. And so I have been in slightly a tailspin ever since then, because my brain knows reckless eat anything you want and just have fun and eat last supper or it knows total regimented eating and so the last two months i'm like i don't know what What i do and what i chose to do was i just made an appointment to get my blood work done update it and go talk to my doctor and say do i because my brain tells me i need to go back on the diet for another three months it wants to repeat the cycle when the truth was medically suggested and it's done now so i can you know it's it's not like me not eating that means that i'm yeah but i my brain isn't well enough to know that and i can understand that personally but also there's a lot that goes on in our minds and it's amazing to me how long it takes to come back from these things because you know it's hard to find a solution with the problem like my is the problem and it's looking for a solution and it and it lies and it's like oh but if we just did it one more time that's the solution when it's not the solution. So it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in a lot of ways too, like you talk about the clutter of the mind and and you're absolutely right. I think, you know, I was just off a client call this past weekend and, and this person was talking about like how they weren't sleeping very well. And I'm like, listen, you got to get the TV out of the room or at least shut it off. Like it's going to impact, it's going to impact your quality of sleep. And this person was like, well, then my mind's not going to shut off. Yeah. Right. Which is like, yeah, it's, it's something that's so hard. Right. Because it sounds like what you do with a lot of your clients is like, you're, you're truly helping them connect with why they're doing something. Yes. 
right? So but I'm going to put you on the peace with themselves. I'm yeah. peace with themselves by making peace with their clutter. Like that's yeah. If you can do that, you're Teflon. Nothing can. Nothing's going to fuck with you from that place. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do it. <laughs> I I realized that I didn't answer one of your earlier questions. I'm like, what was it? um, How I can tell when a couple is like either in love or going to kill each other. Oh shit. So let's go back to that. That's a really good question. I forgot that I asked that. (laughs) I know. I forgot. I was like, why didn't I answer that question? Oh yeah. Melpamine. Um, Yeah. But so put me on the spot. I love you on the spot. (laughs) Well, maybe we can, maybe we can piggyback both because I think that's probably in line. Um, So which, stories of people that you have had uh, being the clutter whisperer, um, which stories have absolutely broke your heart? Mm. And then obviously have had some triumph. Like for my clients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, but I mean, I think I, so I can tell one story that feels like it's really resonant for both. So I had a client that was in a very toxic relationship and they couldn't get out of it. Right. And the desire is always like the fantasy the, the fairy tale world is like, if you're in a toxic relationship, you get out. But the truth is that's not necessarily possible for everyone. You know, you dial back a hundred years and there's so many people who stayed in very unhealthy marriages because of financial resources or physical challenges or whatever. And this particular client, was unable to leave the partnership and it was a very toxic partnership. And I knew that early on and she communicated that to me and it's not my job to judge or say, Oh, you should do things differently because she's doing the best she can with her situation. And when we were working on her space, um, the room that was getting the most disorganized was her bedroom. And it was getting specifically disorganized with things from the bathroom. Now, just to kind of like scale back and, you know, give you a little overview of what the rooms mean. So the bedroom is our room for intimacy, right, with our partners. Um, It's also our room for our self-care and our rest. And so this is like the space where like the bedroom is who you are, right? The clothing closet is how the world sees you, but the bedroom is who you are. And in this case, they didn't sleep. She didn't sleep with her partner, which was a blessing. So she had this room to herself. So this was really the room of who she was. But again, she couldn't get out of this relationship. And this was her only safe space in the house. And the objects that were cluttering the room were almost all from the bathroom or very cozy, meaning like it was towels and bathrobes and slippers and cozy clothes like sweats and sweatshirts and things like that. And so I said, look, like I'm seeing that you're looking for comfort, that you are the things because like, look at, so basically in the bathroom, when we go into the bathroom, what are we doing? We're releasing toxins. Either we're like releasing them from our bodies or we're washing them off or we're cleaning. And then what's the first thing we do once we've released those toxins, it is followed up with some sort of cozy, cushy wrapping or wiping or something that's like, ah, right. It's like you get this cozy towel wrapped around you or this toilet paper or like whatever. It's like followed by something cozy. And so essentially what it was is that she was in this room that was the essential essence of who she was looking to find some cozy for the toxin that she was having to live within. And so I asked Shit. her, yeah, yeah. Shit. Woo. yeah, yo, that's an episode somewhere. I don't know. I know, I know, right? So, so I said to her, I said, look, so I know you can't leave this and I know it's really toxic and I see that you're getting comfort from these items. How else could you get that, that need for comfort met that doesn't include you cluttering your space? And she thought about it and we worked on it. And what she decided on was a pet. She decided to get a dog. And so she got a dog, the clutter went away. Because, and the dog is like the perfect thing when you're in a toxic situation, because like someone has to take the dog for a walk and feed the dog and, oh, the dog is here. And you get the unconditional love of a dog who's like, oh, you're back. Yay! You're back. 
<laughs> oh my god <laughs> what have you my best friend <laughs> yes, you are a rock star with a dog my cat is like i shall lick myself you may touch me twice before i bite the shit out of you, you know? <laughs> i got it coming for you you better back up <laughs> one too many strokes back off yeah. you love me again best day ever so you know having that unconditional love was beautiful and she now had a purpose and an intention yeah. And a drive in her life besides trying to just avoid the toxic person that she couldn't escape from. Yeah. So that's, and the truth is that when we find those small inlets, that's when we can start opening that crack to be able to like change our lives. So maybe in that place, she couldn't have left her partner, but maybe now that she's starting to really honor what she feels are her limitations and starting to take action in the areas that are actionable for her. Now she can actually start to see the other solutions because there are yeah. always other solutions. It's just, we have to shift our mindset and get our needs met enough to be able to see them. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, that should be an episode somewhere. <laughs> no, I'm just a, like yeah. stories from star. I don't, I mean, that's a shitty title, but we'll, we'll workshop, we'll workshop it. Exactly. I, I, I have the title of my book. I already know the title of my book. So can you, can you spill the tea on the mental I purpose will. podcast right now? I think so, um, so it's called if I die, hide the porn. Oh shit. Okay. I see that clubhouse title all the time. Yeah. I'm like, yo, I'm, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned it. <laughs> can you talk about that? Yeah. So I was working on, actually it was when I was working on my TEDx talk and I sat down, I was with, I was with a friend. We were over um, near Yellowstone and we were in this like lodge um, in the Tetons. And I was like sitting, I mean, it's like, honestly, this is like, I'm going to like humble brag right now all the way, but I, I'm going to do it. Um, Please. So we were there. She had this, um, this wildlife, uh, you know, a summit that she was at. And I was like, Oh, I'll come and I'll write when I'm there. So I'm surrounded by all of these, um, nature filmmakers, right? These people who are conservationists and trying to make the world better. And they're all around me in this lobby coming up with ideas. And how are we going to save the spotted leopards? And how are we going to save the sharks? And that's what they're doing. And I'm sitting here looking out these windows, these three giant windows at the Tetons. It was breathtaking. I'm like, this is a magical moment. This is, and I'm starting to work on my Ted talk. And all of a sudden I hear the words in my head, if I die, hide the porn. And I cackle laugh in the middle of this lobby I can't stop laughing and I was like that's my book and the whole time I was writing my TED talk I kept thinking about my book I was like oh, and it's been hard because I didn't know what I wanted it to be I was like oh I think it's you know because when you talk to a publisher they're like make it an organizing book where you have steps and I'm like that book has already been written I'm so not interested in that book yeah. I want to talk about your soul like let's go deep about like what's what is in here that hasn't been talked about and so that's that's what it's about is really diagnosing like okay what are the objects in your life that are terrifying that if someone else saw you would be mortified like I have them too there's two objects in particular and both revolve around my greatest trauma in my life so mm -hmm. one is uh, this box of VHS tapes from my childhood um, and another is a blue dress. And both of them, as I say those words to you, Des, my stomach is turning right now. Like mm -hmm. they're organized, they're put away, they're not affecting my day-to-day -day life, but they are an unfinished chapter of my life that I have to solve and I don't know how to do it. And, yeah. and so I, you know, so in the book, I basically talk about what these mean. And it's, you know, like the VHS tapes, for example, they're VHS tapes of us when we were kids. Not, no big deal, right? Except that- This is you school, and your sister, right? Sister and brother, Yeah. Yeah. story in my mind, I was the perfect child. I was like, the, I'm the middle child, so I'm the good girl, and everybody loves the good girl, and I did everything right, and my sister was a handful, and, you know, so it's like, you have this story in your mind of how things are, and then I watch these videos, 
And I was a real asshole. Like, I'm just going to say, and I know all (laughs) assholes. I know it's normal. But like most siblings don't lose their sibling to suicide years later, right? So if you're an asshole and then your your sibling is like, well, everybody was an asshole, like whatever, we were both doing it. But I picked myself apart because I think, did I cause that to happen? And I know I didn't, but it's very normal to wonder if you did, right? Like Mm -hmm. I know that I didn't, I didn't cause her to do it and I didn't, I couldn't have stopped her, but also it's normal to question that, to be like, wow, is it, did I, did I do something that I shouldn't have done? Should I have been more loving? I wish I could have been more loving. I wish I could go back and fix that. And, and so having to sit with those, like, I'm not ready to get rid of them. They've been digitized, but I need to look at them. And it's terrifying because it's having to meet the worst version of myself. The fear is not, will I discover I'm an asshole? It's, will I discover that I caused my sister's death? And that is a lot to sit with. Um, So having to be present to that and it's, and I'm just one person and other people have very similar stories of their, what their clutter means. And it's, that's why if I die, hide the porn feels perfect because it's like, what is the thing that is terrifying to you to uncover? And yet if you uncover that, that's the thing that sets you free. Yeah. It takes time. That's so, so, so powerful. Um, in so many ways too, because I, one, the title is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Titles is amazing. Like I'll read that right now. Um, and two, uh, star, what you're talking about there is just innermost workings of how pain and shame act themselves out. Right. And, and I think what, what, makes you really fantastic is I'm sure that you, as you continue to work on that stuff, right. You know, cause I'm thinking to myself, like uh, just the thought of something like that happened to one of my siblings would absolutely cripple me. Right. And it would cause me to think about like, what could I have done? Did I do anything? And, and I think, sorry, that's what makes you really fantastic is that I'm sure that you're taking these experiences into your clients experiences and helping them to, to uncover that thing. Right. Yeah. That, that really painful thing. When you know, it's like no one wants an oracle to be their guide. Like nobody's like, oh, you perfect paradigm. Tell me exactly how I do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back off. Like where when I work with someone, it's like I can talk. I can touch their pain because I'm not afraid to. I'm not scared yeah. of pain. I can touch yours and I can relate to it. So it's like if you're standing with someone that you think that your pain might break them it's hard to let go. And I, and and it's Mm -hmm. so important that we just own it. And so it's one of the reasons why I have clients who are like, you should be a therapist. And I always say, you couldn't pay me to be a therapist because they can't talk about themselves. And I expect you to go as deep as I want you to go without putting some skin in the game, which means that I share about my sister and I share about my weight, my, my weight or my eating disorders. I share about my partnership. And that's a conversation, right? When I got into partnership with my, with my partner, I was like, so I talk about my life. How okay with that are you? How yeah. is your boundary? And so we have certain boundaries that it's like, I want to do a video on us and I'll make the video. And instead of doing it live, I show it to him and yeah. say, are you into this? Is there anything that doesn't feel good? And almost always he laughs and is like, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, he's like, <laughs> but you have to like, when you're, when you're sharing your own experience, um, you know, it's really, really vital that you. I don't know that you're doing it in a way that like, I don't want to be vomiting all over people for the sake of my own therapeutic process, but I want you to know that my skin is in the game too. And that I'm here and that you're not doing this alone. And I think that it makes it a better process because I know I only want to learn from people who are also on the path. I don't yeah. learn from someone who's like, I'm done. I'm like, I don't believe you liar. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <You're right. laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. You know, my, my wife is a therapist and she does have to keep a really large amount of uh, anonymity. And so like, there are so many things and, and I always joke, like she's super introverted. And so I always joke like, yo, I'm just her mouth. Mm. Like I'm just taking what she says to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So one, like, no, nah, you don't want to be a therapist. Cause I think what, what really helps you star is like, you're able to tell these stories and by default, people are able to connect with you. Cause I think that's the thing. Like I, and I, I really tell a lot of my story to a lot of my clients as well. And something that I learned a long time ago is like, people don't want you to fix their problems. They want you, they want you to be able to sit in their darkness with them and not change. Absolutely. Um, and that's something that I, I do imperfectly all the time. Constantly. Right. And yeah. right. Well, and so like we're paid for our opinions, like we're paid. For yeah. Our <laughs> so sometimes someone comes to me and I'm offering a solution and I'm like, Oh wait, were you just wanting me to receive you? Okay. Yeah. It's like, Oh shit. Should I? Yeah. I, yeah. I should have just listened. Totally. <laughs> well, I've been conditioned now in my marriage to do that. Like what's my role here? Yeah. You just want me. Okay. Yeah, listen. Okay. That's usually what the answer is. <laughs> just, <laughs> just shut up and listen. <laughs> That's all we want. I just want to share. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> Oh my God. I put my foot in my mouth all the fucking time. <laughs> I know I'm all good. Both fit in there. Actually. It's like, ah, I didn't yeah. know that was possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's go back to the question. Okay. So the, the question of, so the question I evaded earlier, <laughs> how do I know if a couple is in love or wanting to get a divorce? Yes. Yes, yes, yeah. go. So, oh man. So I had a client who, I'll use an example and then I'll, I'll answer. So I had a client that when I walked in, their dining room was a hot mess. Like there was every single ounce of objects, like paperwork and bags and objects were in that room that could be in there, covering the table, under the table, in front. Like there was just, there was so much stuff in there. And so that's normally a hide for something, right? So when you've got that much stuff, it often is a hide. And so when I started working with them, we came across this bag of fruit underneath the table. And I was like, oh, where's this bag of fruit underneath here? And and they were like, oh, yeah, that's so that my husband doesn't eat it because I like organic <laughs> and he doesn't care. He eat an apple off the ground. So I'm not good organic because he'll just like eat it and not even think about anyone else. So it's hiding. And I was like, oh, she's thinking about leaving her husband. Like I just in that second because of like where it was and what was going on and like 10 other things, I was like, she's thinking about leaving her husband and she wants to get organized so she can do it. Because when you're messy, you can't just call a U-Haul truck and be like, bye. You are <laughs> like, it's like, okay, this will take three months, I guess, you know, and be totally painful. And it took her almost two years to be able to admit to me that that was true for her. Like, yeah. and it's not like I said to her on the first day, you want to leave your husband, don't you? <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> Cause it doesn't matter. Right. It's like, I'm there to help her transform. And the truth is that through the process of getting organized, she learned to have her voice. She learned what she needed, you know, she was an introvert too. And it's our introverts in the society, by the way, there are more of them than there are extroverts. It's just that we are louder. We are far, far super louder, loud, yeah. right? So loud. Um, but they're, they're like, I think they're smarter than us and they're way, I mean, they're, like, I, they're way more empathic. They're I, cool. They're like the, every partner. I don't want to say that they're better people. Cause I'm just way too competitive, but <laughs> I'm not they're better. Is sorry. A, a lot of you are, are, are better than me. <laughs> I know they open their mouths and I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah. But, but they look at us and they're it like, it needs to be on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. I'm on there. 
<laughs> yeah, but so like she had to learn how to set her boundaries and how to ask for more time when she was being spoken to. And she needed to learn how to say what she needed and, and take care of herself and step off the codependency training. There was like a whole journey that needed to happen for her on top of the organization of the house. And what was beautiful is that at the end of that, she made the decision to stay in the marriage. And they're actually happier than they've ever been and more in love because the truth is she loved him and they have something really special. It's just that she wasn't speaking up for herself to make that a a workable situation. And so a lot of times what I experience with people about seeing in the space, like, are we, are we in love? Are we over it? It's like, okay, where are you living? Right. Just because you, you were a couple doesn't mean you're sleeping in the same room. And that can be a great thing if you're not. And it can be a great thing if you are. It's just you have to kind of look at like, what are the details telling you? So the bedroom is the sexual intimacy zone, right? So you have to see how's the bedroom faring? Are both people sleeping in there? Is there room for both people? Is one person dominating someone else? Is one person an afterthought? And so a a slice into the bedroom, and this is what I talked about on my decluttering love class, but it's like, do you have two nightstands? Or is there just one nightstand? And and like really, that tells a lot about like who wears. Am I the- going through this checklist in my head right now? Go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, I know totally. And it's like, is there space? Just like we talked about with James, is there space on both sides of the bed for two partners to walk? You know, across and have access. Yeah. Or is there space for both partners to sleep? Is there a space for both partners equally across the bedroom? Um, what else is in the bedroom, right? So sometimes you get people who are hiding in their kids and suddenly all the toys are in the bedroom and the books are in the bedroom and the pictures of the kids are all over. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know about you. I don't want to do any of that in front of my kids. So like, <laughs> yeah. like once yeah. they're like, about a year or two, it's like, get it out of here. And it's, yeah. and it's hard because some people do have to share, like some people are in transition right now. And so their spaces are not optimally set up where it's like, yeah, they might have to have their kids stay in the bedroom a little longer or whatever. But as a whole, like try to make that bedroom a sanctuary for you and your partner. That should be first and foremost, the foundation of love, because the truth Absolutely. is, yeah, the two of you together, you come out of that bedroom and go into the rest of your life, into the rest of your family. And that family is as strong as you two are coupled. You know, yeah. I, when I was engaged to this man, he had three daughters And I loved those girls and that experience. And it was amazing. And it showed me so much how you have to be aligned with your partner. I do not give two fucks about you liking me, kiddo. That is not my job. My job is to love you and make sure you are tooled up for the rest of your life. And guess what? You're not going to like me a lot. And that's okay. That's not my job. I'm not here to be like the most liked person in the room, I'm here to make sure that you're cool. I'm here to make yeah. sure that you're okay and you're loved and you're strong and you're safe and you're capable. So you two as a couple being strong, which requires, yeah. you know, a bedroom that feels like an oasis for you to, to come to, to do your chats, to be able to like dial in is one of the most important Absolutely, going out and having a strong family. Absolutely. That's, that's so, that's so powerful too. Cause I think very early on my wife and I, we decided to co-sleep and we had to have some difficult conversations behind like, why do we want to do this? And I remember going to like a breastfeeding support group. Like I'm the only dude there, like all females with their kids and co-sleeping got brought up. And a lot of the, a lot of the wives are just like, <laughs> it's not that I just like want to like not have sex, but like, if my husband wants sex, like we can do it elsewhere. Maybe I just don't want to. And I remember sitting there. I'm just like, I'm the only male in here. Like someone's got to come on my behalf to be like, yo, that's complete bullshit. (laughs) It's funny how people don't feel safe to set the boundaries. Like when you can, if we can normalize boundaries, right? If it was okay to normalize boundaries, 
then we wouldn't have to use our stuff or our children to speak for us. Like the truth is that there's a book called come as you are. It's one of my favorite books in the world. And it's not C U M. I know what you're thinking. It's (laughs) like the thing. It it might as well have been the top. The the picture looks like a little coin purse that looks like seven bingo. (laughs) No, fantastic. Yes. Come uh, be seven. <laughs> Come on, be seven. So, so this book is amazing because what it does is it basically normalizes all sexuality, right? Like, yeah. so it's, it basically talks about this woman is genius and she talks about how there's, there's um, gas and breaks in all humans, right? So gas is like how easily you get turned on, like how, what revs your engines and the brakes is how fast you get turned off or like how constricted you get, like when, when you have like a hold back. Right. And so you get a lot of people who maybe have very slow gas pedals and very strong brakes. So it takes very specific situations for them to feel comfortable opening up and being sexual. And other people who are like, their gas pedal is like so light you can look at it and it turns on, right? And then like they have no break. They're like, ah, just that one thing stops me from being turned on, right? So it's like, and if you pair two of those people together, which often happens, one person is like, what's wrong with me that I don't want it? And the other person is like, what's wrong with you that you don't want it? Yeah. The tr- there's nothing wrong. It's just that two people function in different ways. And this book beautifully describes why partners have that fight all the fucking time that you don't yeah. need to have it. Because all you yeah. need to understand like oh i work like this you work like that for us to be harmonious we need to come together and create this like sometimes i'm going to give you what you need and sometimes i need you to give me what i need and we're gonna you know but i do think because we are this weird ass society that doesn't talk about sex like put it in a can and just it's too private for words and i'm like talk about this shit please like i'm big even when i'm dating someone before you touch my body we are having the talk like the talk, yeah. To touch my body until we talk about sex. What's your STI history? What's your trauma history? What are you into? Mm-hmm. What turns you on? What turns you off? Like, I don't want to find that when we're having sex. I want to know before because yeah. if you don't like something that I'm really into, there's no point in us walking down this path and vice versa. Like, why would we fall in love with somebody who is totally ill set up for us? And yet that's what we do all the time. We yeah. go in and we're like, oh, it was amazing sex the first time. And then we didn't get along for the rest of the time because we never discussed this thing. Yeah. So it's like, to me, it's just, it's such an important thing to talk about so that then we can have our boundaries and feel strong about it. Yo, what's up guys? Desi here. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. If you did, please make sure that you head over to iTunes. Make sure you give us a rating. We always love those five stars. Throw in some comments with possibly something that resonated with you in regards to the content or in regards to the episode that you just listened to. If you want to find us more, you can find us, our Facebook group at Our Purpose Nutrition. So it's the OPN. You'll be able to find us uh, in any of the, the Facebook channels in regards to groups. If you want to go even further, you you can find me on IG at Fit Dads Coach. You can find our Men of Purpose podcast at MOP Podcast. Please hop on. Please give us a follow. Uh, throw us some comments. Throw us some love. I love engaging with a lot of our audience here. So I want to make sure that continually we're creating content that really resonates with you because you, as our fans, as our listeners, are the reason why we're doing this. And so we definitely appreciate uh, the gathering and, and everything that you're giving back to us because we want to make sure that we're keeping it real with you guys. So thanks for listening. Make sure you go give that rating. My love to you all. Peace.